Yeah, so I was really blessed uh, on Thanksgiving and still had two Thanksgivings. Um, in fact, there may be the first for me, uh, but you know, in my case, it was because my dad is in an assisted living um, facility and it's just so much easier for my mom and I to visit him there. And then I had the second with my, with my girlfriend and her family. Um, I understand you had two Thanksgivings as well. Well, you went to one of two. Yeah, there were two uh, simultaneous Thanksgivings. Uh, and so I was at one of them. So we did talk briefly about the other Thanksgiving. <laughs> Try not to speak about it with any enmity, simply confusion, which I think is what a lot of today's episode is going to be about. You know, how to, re how to reduce enmity uh, while still being confused. Um, which may be a good, actually, that might be a good general premise for what we're up to on the show in general, that in confusion, not allow it to, sim confusion to simply filter or funnel directly into hostility. <laughs> or, like, I don't get you, that means I hate you, instead of I don't get you, let's figure this out together. Or that or just ambivalence or lack of, yeah, exactly. Shrug. Okay. Loading on your iPhone right now. Yes, just <laughs> never-ending loading. I'm I know. In this lovely video, and it's it's just like in in the abyss, in the limbo. Uh, yeah, which folks, if you could see our text thread, uh, especially as relates to today's episode, um, it has been the the number of links and materials sent uh, has been abundant. So it is sort of hilarious that the one time you send something that's like delightfully benign from your own existence from your own life it's like nope <laughs> i mean for this episode i went back because i was looking through our text to try to figure out like kind of anything i might want to add to the outline that i'd sent you and uh you know uh andy in our text thread at some point had said that he because sometimes he'll andy will send me a link and i will respond with a treatise on dissection for whatever the material in the link that he'd sent and a couple times hilariously after honestly 45 minutes to an hour he'd be like yeah i sent it to you kind of just as like a bookmark to like there's something we could potentially look at later as relates to one of the things we were going to talk about but uh thank you for the full report um <laughs> oh, so I, oh and i actually didn't yeah. read it yet yeah so, you're like oh and i was like well yeah yeah, I was like, here are all the problems I have with this log logically, but tell me what, what did you think? Why did you send it? You're like, uh, I was just, I, I don't know yet. <laughs> yeah, I haven't read it. I just thought it's something we could talk about. Maybe, maybe, just maybe. So oh, I- uh, After yeah. you read them. Oh. oh, interesting. Yeah, so I, I, but I started doing that, especially for this episode. I started writing like the actual subject heading so that I could do a search. And I did a search and I think I sent probably about 30 links or four, something like that over the past, basically like two and a half weeks, two weeks uh, related to this episode, but it was helpful. So like doing your, like taking your um, usage path was actually very uh, helpful to be able to sort of mark uh, conversations as a way of kind of bookmarking material without actually just literally bookmarking it because my windows uh, open on my phone, like on my browser, I think I'm at, I pretty much have to every like once, maybe four times a week, just delete about like close a bunch of them. Cause I, cause you max out on the iPhone 
at 500 tabs open. Yeah, so, I've been holding steady at 500 for a while. Yeah, I'm at like 496, and I, I just have to go in every once in a while and delete seven or eight. There'll be some duplicates in there. And that's funny. I mean, you know, it's just, it's, uh, I have most of the things that I do regularly uh, use um, set elsewhere, but actually using our text thread to identify things by subject was like, okay, there's at least an org, a, a, whatever, a subordinate organizational principle or a organizational technique I can use in order to at least maybe close some tabs. So it's a domino, it's a domino effect of sorting one's existence. Well, it's, it's funny you say that because I, as you know, just got a new laptop after a really, really long time. I, you know, so I give credit to my, my other couple old Macs um, for going about 10 years. It's pretty remarkable. Um, but in that, in that thread, <laughs> I heard this phrase digital bankruptcy. Mm. So I am, I, you know, I've been considering declaring digital bankruptcy on my browsers. Mm. Just, just, yeah, go, going nuclear basically. Just, just starting yeah. over. Yeah, and I, and I did that with this machine. Like for the last twenty years, I mean, I, I've every time I've done the migration. In fact, I blogged about it once. I was like, oh, this is like the soul of my Mac. I'm like moving it from one machine to the next. Yeah, and this time I didn't. I was just like. There's all sorts of efficiency and security reasons and just clutter reasons. And I was like, you know, I'm just going to start over. Plus, I'm like probably 80, 90 percent of the cloud at this point. So it was just like, uh, I'm just going to install these apps. Yeah. And I'll throw all these files on an old, you know, file server. But it's like amazing. It's just it's like this new lease on my on my computing life. It not is. Only, not only just in the. I don't know. For me, it's it's fascinating to explore how many areas of my life are affected by by the computer i've always kind of been like that but we probably all became more like that in the last few years i would imagine yeah well and how how impacted your life can be by not even clutter so much because i think some people can work very well in clutter and some people can't um not even not just the chaos because that's yeah that's divergent but the backlog the idea of backlog where you're like, oh, these things I have to kind of like really do this one last thing or read through one last time or organize elseways or else. So then basically, I mean, almost every tab I have open as an example is something I haven't really quite finished on. So that's 493 things that I'm like, eh, I feel like I can't quite stick a, stick a pin in that. Stick a pin in that, I'll come back to it, you know, which is, starting from scratch or just starting from this sort of like, let's blank slate it is, uh, it, it is, can be a helpful instinct, which actually directly relates to today's episode. I'm assuming hence that's you are serving up such a potential tr transition. Uh, today's episode is talking about really the idea of a pandemic amnesty, which would be a wiping the slate clean. What if we just started over? What are all those things we stuck a pin in? We just said, ah. What do you have? Let's just, I don't, I don't, who knows? Who knows? Let's not, let's not look at it, which obviously can feel phenomenal. It would feel great to just be like, let's just start over. Let's start from zero right now. The problem is, of course, is who, when you're talking about interrelational quandaries, this is, it's, this takes it outside of the, well, this computer really serves as a tool for myself. 
So then if I alter all you're altering, you're really just declaring an amnesty with yourself. <laughs> when you start declaring amnesties between you and other people, people get a little bit like, well, hold on a second. Are there reparations in order? Uh, what is what is the crime? Uh, that's, I think, when people get real skeptical. Uh, so today's episode, I don't even actually know what the question is, Andy. we got to figure out what the thing. It's so funny. I've been making outlines and sending articles. And the question is... Uh, you, you have a question in here. Do I? Is a pandemic amnesty possible? Is amnesty possible? Does amnesty for oh. what? Oh, amnesty for what? There you go. Okay, that is a good question. That's right. The question is amnesty for what? So that requires some explanation. Today's episode of Totally Classic with myself, Brendan McNamara. And myself, Andy Swindler, the lover of pauses. Yes, is uh, focused around an article published, actually probably by the time this comes out, we're recording this the day after Thanksgiving, uh, came out three, two, two, three weeks ago now uh, in The Atlantic, uh, which has been a, a bastion of uh, of journalistic, um, what is it, uh, repute uh, for quite a long time. Um, I don't know if it's quite up there with like the effete uh, intellectualism of the the New Yorker. But the Atlantic, I don't know, at least in my purview, has been a, a is a um, what is it? A bastion of think pieces before think pieces were think pieces, even um, so highly vaunted. Uh, they've been definitely quite hostile to the unvaccinated. So I've been sort of uh, responding to them throughout the pandemic of their uh, bias and their takes and that sort of thing. Um, but they published an article by uh, Doctor, I believe uh, Emily Oster, um, who wrote a an article um, called, I believe the title was, Let's Declare a Pandemic Amnesty. And immediately it was the it was the opinion piece that launched a thousand uh, think pieces in response as people kind of freaked out. And I think in some ways rightly, but we can talk that through even just in general concepts of forgiveness and whatnot. Uh, but her general premise, I won't read the whole thing, um, let me just, I'm gonna read the first paragraph. In April, 2020, with nothing else to do, my family took an enormous number of hikes. We all wore cloth masks that I had made myself. We had a family hand signal, which the person in the front would use if someone was approaching on the trail and we needed to put on our masks. Once, when another child got too close to my then four-year-old son on a bridge, he yelled at her, social distancing. These precautions were totally misguided. In April, 2020, no one got the coronavirus from passing someone else hiking. Outdoor transmission was vanishingly rare. Our cloth masks made out of old bandanas wouldn't have done anything anyway. But the thing is, we didn't know. It goes on to essentially posit uh, a bunch of per sort of quote unquote personal failings, but also personal like it made a lot of sense um, sort of responses throughout this piece. Uh, it's been Feel free, anyone. I mean, you can go ahead and Google responses to it. There are, there are myriad. Um, we'll talk about some of them today. But I think that summarizes the sentiment already in that, hey, in April 2020, we all did a bunch of stuff that was crazy, y'all. Can we, let's have an amnesty. Uh, no, we'll have to look at what amnesty actually means. But I think that at least put, gets the ball rolling uh, as to what we are talking about and what, what it means to seek a blank slate um, and I think for me and many people, the responding to this was, this was someone asking for a blank slate who uh, the immediate 
uh, supposition was incorrect. We didn't know. I was like, but we did know. <laughs> we did know. Like it was known. Um, and then it seemed very strange too that that someone doing something, the person who had sort of committed the errors was the person saying, "Hey, let's just forget all this." Yeah. And I was like, "Well, but you're the one who did the thing." So then that makes it a, a very difficult proposal, unless it's just you and your own laptop, in which case you're just blaming yourself. Hey man, what happens in 2020 stays in 2020, okay? Right, 2020 vision equals blindness. <laughs> I'm like just caught up, could we at least come up with a like a nice portmanteau, like like Pemnesty. Pemnesty, yes. <laughs> the Pemnesty. So I wanted to look at this to get the ball rolling and we can start talking about this. And I think you've probably done work with, well, I think we've both worked personally, but then maybe you might've even done more than me interpersonally of sort of nav navigating, I don't know, the layers of permission required for forgiveness and progress together. Um, I think it's pretty common to anyone in, in, in therapy or anyone just examining themselves and examining tensions. Uh, something I dealt with sort of, obviously it's, it's an integral part of the Christian experience, rep repentance and forgiveness. Um, but it's also just part of living as a, as a functional human being. But I did want to just put out the definition of amnesty um, so we don't get too far waylaid, although I feel like it was, even in this piece, it was waylaid. Um, an official statement, this is Oxford Learner's, Oxford Learner's Dictionary, an official statement that allows people who have been put in prison for crimes against the state to go free. Wow. Uh, yeah, or second, the second one, a period of time during which people can admit to a crime or give up weapons or stolen items without being punished. So probably inclines a little bit towards the second one um, uh, and, and the first or whatever as, this, as to this proposal. But this is the question we're questioning today. And if for you, anyone at home listening right now or out in the world listening right now, um, that's the question I want, we want you to consider as well. Uh, should we declare a pandemic amnesty? And this could take it in all different directions too, because some people might be like, okay, I don't know if I'm ready to forgive the unvaccinated. And then for someone like myself, it's like, I'm not ready to forgive, you know, the CDC. But it's a good question to ask. And was she asking for amnesty by that name in that article? I'm pretty sure I have it open in a tab somewhere. Mm-hmm. Well, it's the title. Now, it's the title of the article. So, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. So, as you may know, though, a lot of times when people write for uh, institutions as such, they don't always choose the title. A lot of times, writers write the piece, editors choose the title. So, but that's mm -hmm. so whether they released it as such for. Um, Clickbait. It's not exactly clickbait. She does say it in the article, but that doesn't happen until like five or six paragraphs in or whatever. She says, we have to put these fights aside and declare a pandemic amnesty. Meaning, um, she said, uh, what was it? All this gloating and defensiveness continues to gobble up social energy and to drive culture wars, especially on the internet. These discussions are heated, unpleasant, and ultimately unproductive. I would disagree with that but in the face of so much uncertainty getting something right had a hefty element of luck and similarly getting something wrong wasn't a moral failing treating pandemic choices as a scorecard on which some people racked up more points than others is preventing us from moving forward we have to put these fights aside and declare a pandemic 
amnesty? Well, you'd you'd think I would have at least remembered what the headline said because that's often as far as I get. Um, <laughs> um huh. well, yeah, I mean, I can relate it to just some things I've learned about, you know, conflict resolution, peace circles, restorative justice, that those categories, and it's funny. This this week, I you know, I'm trying to listen to everything we've recorded. I feel like one listen is just good, um, you know, practice or showmanship or or self critique. Ten lessons gets in. Ten listens gets into like narcissism, but I'm not there yet. <laughs> yeah. But I was I was actually just listening to the one where I had COVID. Yeah. The is COVID real episode, and then and then that was kind of nestled in between the woke culture ones. And mm -hmm. uh, one thing I I don't. This may just be assumed, maybe we speak to it, but one thing I think we, we share in, in common, we often just label it as curiosity, but it's the, it's the stern belief, if not truth, that, you know, interrogating what happened, like actually examining as, as with as much ferocity and different perspectives as possible is always good. Mm -hmm. Like, that is always going to, it, that might not be fun. <laughs> it might yes. not feel good. Um, yeah. But ultimately that is what will lead us to knowing what happened and, and maybe potentially changing how we do things next time. And uh, so I feel like that's also just a, a central thesis to sort of peace and reconciliation processes. We we absolutely must design a process where we, yeah. where, where we, and it could look at it a lot of different ways, but we we must get to a point where everybody can sink beneath the the anger and the vitriol and the defensiveness. I would kind of put that article the way the passages you've pulled maybe into the defensiveness category of like like that that's not like building a bridge to understanding there, right? That, that's, yes. that's, like, that's like well, we kind of did some stuff, but eh, I don't know. And, um, yeah, it has all but, the framings of a poor apology in that way. Meaning like one of those apologies where it immediately is, it's sort of justified, it immediately justifies at the end of the first paragraph. It's, and then never actually apologizes, right? Which is like, we've all had those apologies where someone is like, okay, well, I did this and they explain their motives. I think that's healthy and good. I think it probably don't lead with it, but whatever. And then that's what you do. And then the apology never happens. And then you're like, oh, okay, well, do you feel better now that you understand their motives? You're like, mm, I mean- four percent i mean i was here you know i showed up here i thought we were meeting here to do an apology thing so we could apologize and forgive and heal and all that sort of stuff so then you know yeah it feels like it feels like one of those i think even in just like a group session or whatever this would not be you would try to lead it back to like well do, you know do you feel like do you let the other person respond well do you feel harmed do you feel like they've responded to how you were harmed right i mean these are just how we work out Right. Even as a child, even for my kids, like my my six year old children, you know, this is how we like work on an apology, an apology out. Um, and this isn't even asking for apology, by the way, since amnesty is actually going all the way towards like, can we declare a an entire a, a sort of just a forgiveness, essentially a forgiveness without apology or acknowledgement of wrong. We're just like, let's just kind of let's do a forgive and forget for everyone, everyone in every direction. And then you're sort of like, well, that would. This is sort of like a, a when you just you <laughs> when you agree to split the check, 
and someone only got the like a, a lemonade and someone else ordered the you know the surf and turf you're sort of like hmm well should i don't know if we should just split it i don't know if we should just this i think there's some different every everyone experiences this different you know and in having divergent uh, like perspectives in the space and allowing at the very least allowing everyone a voice I, I feel like is a is a good general principle in in trying to have resolve these things like well let, let's and let's let everyone have a voice in order that for me this is my part where like so we can ascertain truth here so it's not just a rashomon of like well now everyone said how they feel so can is everyone ready to forgive some people will be like well no they have to like I'm mad at this person because they stole my 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 vintage transistor radio. Like I want them to like return the radio. So that that would just be part of how you would <laughs> you would heal this wound. You know, everyone's gonna have different wounds and kind of needs different different care. And we see this obviously. We've talked about even systemic issues. We see how this works across the spectrum, where everyone's everyone's perspective. And and my whole thing is like I don't want everyone anyone's perspective elevated over anyone else's explicitly until we can sort of ascertain harm or damn you know what i mean but everyone's everyone everyone does need a voice and if people are being shut up you know if you have to shut up and forgive us or shut up we don't want to hear your perspective for any reason i feel like i yeah my alarm bells always go off yeah um yeah it's funny i think for, i spend some time studying different sort of conflict resolution frameworks maybe five or six and you know they're all slightly different um, but they're, they're actually not very complex. Yeah. <laughs> they're like the, like you just more or less described it. It's, it's just, you know, everybody gets a voice, you know, and, and there's, there's, um, and we, I might divide like a material reconciliation or repair from, yep. from an emotional repair. And I think they're yes. important. And I think that's where, to me, that's the depth where we probably can actually get somewhere you know, we, we yeah. might drop one layer of like informational truth, sort of what happened, the, the facts maybe. Yes, yes. And hopefully we find a way to drop, we do drop into the emotional layer because I feel like the emotional layer is often what's preventing us from actually seeing the other side of the factual layer. But, yeah. And and that can feel really hard. I mean, that's, that, that can, that's the vulnerable, that's the vulnerable part of this. Yes. Where we actually have to open ourselves up and see how some see how somebody else was impacted, see how see what our part was in it, and it is messy and it is complex and and yeah. it's usually not just a straight binary. You know, that's yeah. also a space where I I potentially can talk about how I was harmed, although that's tricky. I think those often ought to be sort of separated so we can like kind of deal with one thing at a time because otherwise it goes sure. back to a thing where it's like. Well, I'm sorry you did that, but I mean, this is what was happening for me, and you know, blah blah blah. Yeah. Well, I just I don't feel real seen, you know. When you, <laughs> you do that. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, we don't have to branch into reparations, but obviously, that sort of falls into this whole universe of material restoration, and uh, you know, I I just think for for certain things, this you know, and the vaccine probably are already well not just the vaccine but the pandemic probably already falls into such a catastrophic layer of complexity and magnitude that there is yeah. no there's no answer really at this point like like there's no restoration of the harm or maybe even 
calculation of it. I don't know. Maybe I'm yeah. maybe I'm throwing my hands in the air a little bit, but it just yeah, like, yeah. No, I mean the the nice thing is there is some prevention of cataloging harm occurring. Uh, I'd sent you amongst many links that uh, this uh, lawyer. A law, uh, there are many law firms who have filed sort of Freedom of Information Act kind of uh, things. Mm -hmm. uh, there's an attorney in Missouri who just deposed uh, Anthony Fauci just like two days ago. Um, uh, this is more re-government collusion in social media censorship, which is really quite clear. It's it's absolutely occurred on a pretty massive scale, but now they're deposing people on an individual basis who are involved in that. Um, so that's great. Um, we are, but, and the CDC just after a year and a half, almost two years, I think a year and a half, uh, finally sort of outputted their, their data on um, from their V-safe, which is like their internal, there's uh, theirs, which is like a, again like a report it's it's the best reporting or, or the the broadest reporting system we have for vaccine effects um, but the vsafe is is slightly more internally controlled um, and not accessible to the public uh necessarily uh, even though they are like a whatever public org publicly funded org um anyway there was a freedom of information act kind of thing or i can't i can't remember what it was called anyway um to where they received information so it was for a while there's people prevent preventing people from making those assessments. Um, but those assessments are being made now, which is great. And then I do feel like there's that sense people are already pushing or have been pushing for almost a year and a half already for a bit of like a, not a, well, I don't know, it feels, well, whitewash has nothing to do with white people. Um, I was like, oh, that's a little racial. No, a, a whitewash, meaning as of offense, um, that trying to whitewash the the sort of passed pretty immediately and they in this phenomenon where they start people started doing uh, news reports or talking about things as like oh well because of the pandemic you know learning losses went up in schools to astronomical levels um so that was already i think a preempt i think people have from the beginning for, within months uh maybe six months of like lockdowns being declared people are already calling lockdowns like the pandemic or because of covid people again this is my i'm a semantic conservative i was like this is why it's so dangerous because pandemic means a, a global a virus across multiple geographic regions so a virus across regions didn't close any schools didn't close a single business didn't do any of those things human beings did that so like government response really would just be it's one extra word so i don't know to me it felt like the same thing immediately people were like we just have to package this as like this is a very particular time this this is very particular and i think what was provocative or frustrating for people like myself is that by april may june certainly people were like well no that's none of this is reasonable look at this 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 why are we doing this this doesn't make any sense why is everyone doing that and so it wasn't it was very clearly delineated from the get go Whereas I think now, when obviously if it's gotten to the level of the Atlantic, kind of an, a non-apology apology, or please just forgive all of us, then we're at a pretty serious level of people are obviously just now starting to take stock of what occurred. And then it's pretty damning. So then people I think are trying to, to me, this feels very much like trying to get ahead of it and be like, okay, can we, after all the conviction, because really it's an amnesty would be saying, after all the convictions come through, can we all, none of us go to jail? Can we get a special get out of jail free card? But we still have to engage the process of sending people to jail or whatever. And then this just happened recently. Um, like uh, uh, Disney just pulled all their, for all their productions, pulled all their vaccine requirements. It just happened like a couple months ago. Uh, New York just reinstated all public workers who've been fired for not being vaccinated um, with back pay. 
uh, or if they want their job. Some people might be like, I'm not coming back to work for you. <laughs> Y'all are awful. Um, well, maybe but I found a new job in the last that, two years. You in know? the last two years, exactly. So so, uh, so movement on act like sort of forgiveness and, and reparation, right? Directly to the people who are harmed from it. And here's a great opportunity for us to like, look at that and play with that and understand what that looks like and how, especially when it's so direct. But it also lets you know, like why the reparations conversation is perhaps as impossible as uh, Israel-Palestine for us, because it's so now, so many generations removed, so many generations deep. And we're looking at, this is why I think that this, this pandemic epoch has been fascinating uh, to watch an other be created. And you're like, oh my gosh, this is like living through the creation of race or, or um, whatever, any discriminatory uh, language. But it's also fascinating too to see how quickly and immediately ideas of forgiveness, apology, reparation, are even this close with this much evidence already, it's almost impossible. People are like, yeah, we don't really want to talk about that. I was like, well, but it's right now. We can't wait forever because we know what happens if you wait too long. I mean, we'll wait a generation, you know, uh, we'll wait We'll wait too many years. And then people will be like, well, by the time people go, okay, well, here's what went, went on. Everyone else is going to be like, oh my gosh, we've moved on from that. Get over yourself. I've had those exact conversations with people already. People are like, oh my gosh, no one's talking about unvaccinated being discriminated anymore. It's like, they can leave Canada. I was talking to a Canadian person. They can leave Canada. No one's talking about this anymore. Why are you still upset about it? And I was like, dude, they just started doing this like in September. Like, what are you, like, people are already like, ugh, that was, that was like shit, man. Yeah, it was like two months ago. What do you mean? I was like, okay, well, if we can't talk about reparation for two months ago, then we're certainly oh my gosh good luck with 100 years you know yeah um that's funny there were two things that stood out and they just floated away they slammed into each other and fell down okay maybe they're coming back uh the coffee is kicking in the one of them that just is to me it's like it speaks for itself like even before you read those definitions, which are both yeah. attached to criminality. <laughs> like I didn't know that yes. the yeah. amnesty was that sort of direct, uh, even even maybe metaphorically. Uh, but the the fact that like that is the the headline right now, yeah, is an admission of guilt, right? It, it yeah. Facto, I mean, it, is she? Yes. You know, even that article. I mean, it's sort of half-assed, but it's and it's not attaching the guilt. Uh, to <laughs> let's do something about it. But in my yeah. in some of my communities, I mean, we've talked at length about COVID. We've talked at length about a lot of things. Um, yeah. And I just sort of wonder if there's even some brief summary that may be valuable here in case anybody hasn't, you know, gone through all those episodes of of just what we're talking about. Because you know, even in some of my communities, astonishingly, in a lot of ways, you know, so called so called social social justice communities. Uh, where I'm still facing people who are denying that that there was any wrongdoing. Like they're just they're still gripping yes. firmly to the idea that like vaccines are are the way that we solved this, solved yeah. tense and continue to solve this. Yeah, um, yeah. And just like it's even one step, frankly, like before even that article i mean there, <laughs> yes yeah yeah i can jump to one thing that really stood out to me in your notes around projection you know i was 
pretty much directly referred to as a fascist. You know, it, it was yeah. one of those communications and it was, uh, I, I don't know how I want to characterize this. I'll just say what it said. Basically, because it wasn't pointed, it wasn't pointed at me, but it was, it was like the conclusion of a long email to a group that I'm involved with. And it said, it just was so dismissive in a really um, non-courageous way because it wasn't direct. And it just kind of yes. ended the whole thing with this assumptive, like, yeah, I, I think kind of like, like if we were on stage and I was sitting over here and like, and they turned to the audience and they were like, you know, this whole thing is just some weird like combination of new ageism and fascism. Don't you, yeah. you all agree with the audience claps and I'm sitting over here like, what You're like the like wait, can I wake up now? Like yeah, what the fuck? Yeah, yeah. I was like, wait, you mean me? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you're talking about me, right? I mean, uh, I'm the only other person here. I'm the only person in the room. You're looking at you talking to me? Yeah. And I've just like you've been swimming in this ocean for years that I just like stuck one toe in and I'm like, oh God, that water is like lava. Like what the fuck is Yes, yes. And I do think, listen, and again, this is uh someone may disagree with this, but have come have at it, come talk to me. Uh Emily Oster is a um is adjacent to data data science collection. I've actually used her data set uh, related to schools um, in having conversations in regards to the failures of mask mandates in schools or whatever. So she's she's been like in in the scrum in many ways and trying to trying to constantly assess like what in the world is going on. Um, but she is also a woman, and I feel like women generally being more sensitive to. Um, that feeling you're talking about, the, oh, this is gross. This is a terrible place. I, I, I was like, oh, that's a little bit of a, a woman's instinct of pursuing healing because of discomfort of like, we need to like, basically this is, this is not productive. This, 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 uh, whatever is it? Left, left brain, uh, right. Yeah. Left brain thinking. This left brain thinking is not helping us. This trying to like assess all the information. Cause she's tried to do that, assess information. And she's like, well, that's not helping. We still are at each other's throats and this feels gross and yucky. And people are calling each other's names. Let's just do peace. Let's do a peace accord. Everyone gets peace. But uh, the problem is she kind of played in this case, since I read the beginning, like she played her own hand of like what they did outside and what she made her children do it's supposed to be like, oh, remember how wacky it was that back then? And maybe for the readers of The Atlantic, that makes sense to them. But I was like, I remember when that was happening. I remember walking <clears throat> at like with my parents or whatever around a lake and people would put on masks and get off the path as we walked around a lake. Like they would like see us coming. The whole family would put on their masks, step off the path, like into the woods. So we didn't cross by each other closely. And at the time I wasn't like, oh, yep. Hey, we're doing what we can to keep safe. I looked at those people and I was like, what is happening? What is going on right now? Like what, who told them outside was dangerous. And again, I, I, that this was happening, whatever, in April, May, I was like, no, there's no I don't understand the the assumption of danger before danger has been demonstrated. There was no ex, ex, like outdoor transmission data, so it was like they're they're worried about something that's not. They're, they're, there's no out like, and this has been the thing constantly where I'm like, what is what is happening? What? <laughs> so yes, I've been I've been in, I've been like, oh, what is happening for for uh, for like two years? And it is it's a, but it's a weird feeling, right? When you run into that, you're like, what what? I know these people. Why are they saying these things? Why are they doing these things? Especially when you're just going, the question is, well, like, could we look at this from another perspective? Because we could look at this, this, and this, which would frame this pretty differently, right? And that's something we would all be concerned about. 
and people are like, oh, this seems kind of pretty fascist. You're like, wait a second. We're just talking about, can we do this? This, we're, we're, this is just layer one. So I don't think it's, it's not even that in-depth or complicated before people kind of get into this, into this frenzied state. And I think she's positing that that's like normal or okay. I do think it's normal, meaning human beings do it, but I certainly don't think it's okay because it doesn't, it's not helpful. That could be the slogan for this show. Normal, but not <laughs> Yeah, normal, but not okay. Yeah. I do think that's something we're both really attracted to and just exploring human nature. So, yeah. I don't know. Nature might be the wrong word. Human normalcy. Because <laughs> then yes. that comes all the socialization to yes um, well because we're socializing we're socialized creatures or we are socializing creatures right i mean that's exactly what this is positing like oh they became socialized into this one way that they realized was completely wacky and they're like but wasn't that wacky wasn't it just funny when we you could didn't we, everybody do it I mean, yeah that's that's the wild assumption i think really from the get-go and this is maybe the you know this is the kind of thing about being woke right which is like in its in its core or like its adjacent core or it's like whatever uh what's the word it's speak and spell uh, fisher price definition which is just like being aware like oh being aware that other people have other experiences that were fundamentally different than yours in their life right now last week this year and that aspect of like that's i think that's what we're all constantly challenging and being challenged with um like oh you had a different experience and I think that's been interesting over the past couple of years, since people were so isolated deliberately on purpose. Um, I think everyone in isolation, you start to just create a universe of self. And you're like, well, everyone's doing what I'm doing. If they're not doing what I'm doing, what's up with them, actually? That's really weird, because I'm doing it for these reasons. <laughs> you know? Yeah, and the I didn't say much, but context for the, the fascism piece, um, the briefest in this episode, but I will briefly... And that was that I had posted, somebody had posted an event um, for, for a cause I really actually believe in, reopening mental health clinics in Chicago. Awesome. Uh, and the, but there was a vaccine requirement to attend yeah. it. I just said, hey, this looks great other than, the other than the vaccine segregation. And then it just launched in this whole thing around really the word segregation, my, my, yeah. my choice using that. And then it was kind of like, no, 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 we need to reserve segregation for... Uh, you know what we did to you know blacks for the for the first couple, you know several hundred years of America more yeah. or less. and it was like you know so it's it's interesting like and I'm sure you danced around this a lot although I don't think you're as um maybe willing to do it as I am to modify <laughs> to accommodate people yeah dilute that language and then it becomes yeah. less less meaningful and yeah so that's the tricky dance is like i really believe in meeting people where they are in this work it just yeah that's how other way if we don't ever meet them how we're never going to go anywhere yeah i'm like not backing off from language we talk a lot about language here uh yeah. that is that is meaningful and that is specifically uh selected and yeah and in that case, there really never was a resolution. I, I maybe that's maybe we can tag that in this in this episode and say, mm. you know, I you were sort of my coach to help construct a rather lengthy response and bring in a lot of different pieces of evidence. And I think you even called it restrained. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. 
and then I, I just, I literally never, I got, I got one response. There was one guy who, who said, you know, I listened to your episodes and I'm glad to have this research. Um, and I, I want to check back in with him actually, because I'm not sure where he landed. And, and it's not yeah. like I'm looking for people to respond and say, oh yeah, you're right. Or yeah, I agree with you. But yeah, even, you know, wow, thanks. Thanks. I didn't realize there was maybe this much depth behind that, you know, it, it, yeah or anything any any kind of media yeah of, yeah yeah anything that's the that's always the actually yeah. several hours of work to even like write put that email together you know? yeah it really is i know that's the funny thing i think i um that's something i struggled with for a while until i had to sort of reconcile with myself that i felt okay in the way that i've been managing myself because that was i don't know i constantly examine uh my motivations and actions and whether they are appropriate for any and all experiences and certainly my way of talking to people is uh has been perceived as uh, fire hosey or there's just too much information coming at me and then it feels like um you're aggressive and like trying to be this like just wreck wreck everything wreck it Ralphie kind of style but what I had to sort of explain to people because for a while I was like okay well I keep getting this note and if you keep getting the same note yes everyone else can be wrong but you know as as notes accrue you probably should keep checking that <laughs> if everyone keeps saying the same thing um either everyone's crazy which is possible or you're crazy so uh, in checking if I was crazy I was like well at some point I had to be like well Yes. Okay. I can modify this in order for people to, to tr essentially to translate for people who people process differently than I do. Um, uh, I'm always just trying to be like, hey, I'm not crazy. So let me show you all. Here's here's six things to show exactly why I'm saying what I'm saying. Um, it's And people are like, are oh, you just trying to shut the conversation down for the beginning? I'm like, oh, not at all. I'm literally being as, to me, it's, it's a form of intellectual uh, vulnerability. I think we talked about this one other time, uh, which I think is part and parcel in intellectual and emotional vulnerability are necessary for healing or to be able to adjudicate any situation between you and another person or any sort of disagreement. You've got to be emotionally vulnerable, meaning like you're saying, you've got to like go, well, here's, here's the feelings that are getting riled up. Here's how I felt then. Here's how I feel now. Those are all integral and important things to note. Fear, for example, which we've talked about recently, um, is, is can be paramount. But then also there's emo intellectual vulnerability being like, here's all the i'm literally laying all the cogs bare this is like all the inner workings of my machinery to show here's all the reasons i think this in which case i'm literally showing you my belly i'm literally showing you my guts and going here's all the guts and i'm literally handing it to you so you can muck around with it and you can look at my guts and be like mm, this your guts are messed up you know what i mean you're digesting improperly um so in some ways like that, that's always been at least my that was my attempt and my endeavor was to be like here's why i think what i'm thinking what, why do you think what you're thinking? Show me all your guts. I'm here's all my guts. Show me your guts. <laughs> but people, again, I think because of the emotional aspects sometimes, or because of just intellectual dishonesty too. Um, the uh, just like when we were kids, uh, I'll show you mine. If you show me yours, then you show yours, and then the other person runs away. And then, you know, thirty years later, after a lot of therapy, they realized that theirs was theirs was pretty great <laughs> yes exactly mine's was pretty great after all <laughs> why don't well let's see is it worth uh doing a very brief summary of sort of the early actually i guess it was our first couple episodes 
after our intro because that's how this whole dang thing started yeah um, you know just like what you were saying in the earliest days of the pandemic you and i had extremely different experiences uh yeah you know I, well i think we were kind of witnessing some of the same things but through very different lenses mm. I'm, I'm like I'm taking myself back there and I remember I would just go to like forest preserves you were just maybe that you were just talking about like walking through the woods and I, I would go yep. to the forest walk around and I didn't I did there just weren't very many people I'm in Chicago so that was you know it's chilly it was still pretty chilly um in like March and April 2020 so there weren't very many people out and I don't know if it's weird I felt that fear and as an empath you know part of that is probably just the the you know something about yeah energy which was in some ways very relieving because the world got so quiet and i've talked to other empaths about this like there was there was a sense of like oh, okay again yeah. not as much frenzied energy so it did sort of coalesce into one kind of energy that mm -hmm. i felt here yeah. i think that was true here in chicago and then in the groups i'm in sort of online yeah but then we talked so much about that and you were like, well, what were people afraid of? And and at that time, I probably would have told you we're afraid of the virus. Yeah. Clearly we were, we had actually all just sort of coalesced into a collective fear, maybe about the virus, but it's it's almost like a chicken and the egg thing. It's, it's like, well, yeah. but really by then we were actually just afraid We because we were told to be afraid. We were told to like stay in our homes yeah, and that's a pretty damn scary thing in America. We're not used to that, you know. And that's, no, it was yeah, but it was generationally un unprecedented. And I think people are like, "Wow, we did it!" You know, we did we best we could at the time, or whatever. It's not the case. Uh, lockdowns were not part of the pre twenty twenty playbook. Uh, they weren't. They weren't recommended. They still weren't. Even as people were, some people were enacting them. There was all sorts of dispute about whether they should occur. Um, in general, at this point, it again, it's quite conclusive that they were more harm than good. We're still unpacking their harms on a weekly basis. Um, cancer deaths is sort of the latest thing that's been getting a ton of uh, evidence and information um, that uh, because of people are saying because of missed cancer screenings, because hospitals deprioritized those people were so afraid that they wouldn't come into hospitals. Um, also, there are increases of potential like autoimmune related like cancer like reduced cancer resistance because of both COVID infection and vaccination I mean like we've caused a whole ton of problems just from that initial it was the response itself and I think that was the thing the hard thing for most people is the decision on how to respond was taken away from all of us in a fundamental way very early because it was it was programmed so dominantly in one direction when they literally said go home so we're like some aspect of us and this is a dangerous thing but also sometimes practical in terms of fear oh they're doing this this must be super serious but now here we are a couple of years later and that's not it doesn't seem realistic like in hindsight right certainly we're like i don't know that doesn't i don't think that's really that that was that serious you know to to where that sort of level of shutdown um that's it we were reacting to the reaction yeah and so felt like the reactions <laughs> right right which is really fascinating but it literally is it's responding to the messenger 
the messenger, not the message, even, you know what I mean? In some ways of like how the messenger said it. Now this is don't kill it. This is amnesty cry is don't, don't shoot the messenger. Um, but if you deliver messages that were not true, which happened over and over again, and again, we've talked about this a couple of times, but I think I still, I still don't understand why people don't bring this up on a monthly basis. Um, it was maybe a, about a year or so in, it was shown that uh, Democrats specifically, um, so again, we know this was kind of like media, there was a media bias relevance here where Democrats overestimated the threat of COVID putting you in the hospital. They thought it was something like 50, 40 something to 60%, somewhere in that range. And it was 0.8%. And I think Republicans at the time were also wrong, but they were, it was, they thought it was like 10 to 20%. So the messaging was obviously either the worst flipping messaging or people weren't paying any real attention to what was going on. And it specifically was divided in these like partisan ways, which then you're like, I don't know. When I came out, I was like, we need to be talking about this. This is, look at this evidence. The fact that like people don't know what they're talking about. And especially in these political things, both people were wrong. One, one sort of political party was more, way more wrong than the other. And so I was like, okay, guys, we have to look at that. I mean, I thought at that point, every Democrat uh, should have sat down, like sat down and shut up for like, three days, just three days and going like, okay, well, how could I have been so wrong? How, how could it be more wrong than those people over there who I'm always saying are wrong about a thing that's like the most important thing to us right now? So that's, I mean, that's a, and again, there was no, <laughs> but that's the hard thing with the internet and with the news cycle being as such within 48 hours or 72 hours or whatever, Bill Maher talked about it and some other people talked about it and then people moved on. They're like the latest thing to be horrified about. So it was like, we're so, this is maybe the terrible things with lockdowns too. You go home and then you kind of get into like consume mode, right? Everyone went home and binged Tiger King. So, so it was just like, I don't, I moved on to the next thing that kind of fills my, fills my maw um, as opposed to being like, why, why do I not know what's going on? You know? I skipped it. So I don't know what's going on with Tiger King. Oh yeah. Well, you're, you're fine. You're fine. It was, it was somewhat fascinating though. I got to tell you. <laughs> That was that. That was to me. That was the first. That like I always associate that with the lockdown time. The like I feel like Tiger King was the first like hit of the lockdown. So I want to find maybe this is just trying to be humanist or even broaden our perspective because I can feel an energy even right now of like wanting to be right about this. And, I think that's yeah, but I think that's good. But yeah, yeah, and I. I don't know. I actually just think that is that is human nature that I wish we all talked a lot more about because I think that drives yeah. a lot. Yeah, uh, yeah. And in this moment, I'm thinking, ooh, what if we ask some sort of question like, like how do we empathize with what was going on there? Like a little yeah. bit of the like trying to bend into the perspective of these people asking for amnesty in the sense of. I don't know. I'm thinking, what's the most generous explanation? Like, holy shit, we were all freaked out. We were all overwhelmed. We were all yeah. Didn't know what was going on. We didn't know who to trust. You know, uh, and I'm and I'm like, well, and again, like, well, if if any of that's true, why, why, yeah. why, why would we have been any more overwhelmed in that moment than not? And it, it may be as simple as just. I mean, we're kind of always at risk of that. I mean, if millions of people, <laughs> there's some tipping point of a, of, of 
a minority of the population start doing something or trending in one direction, then all of a sudden yeah. the, the the sort of polite ways we do science or media or whatever. Yeah. There's not much polite about media, I retract that. Um, <laughs> you know what I mean? I don't know. Is that is that a useful exploration in some way? Yeah, see? maybe. I mean, I, I think that's the the way to approach it. And I think, but to me, where where empathy usually leads me is towards the person. And then I, but then I want to understand the thinking most of all, because I'm like, well, your emotions are your emotions. And those are interesting. We can talk about those. But like, to me, it's always like, what's the thinking? So I can have empathy, meaning like, I can understand that we've all thought things that were wrong, believe things that were untrue. Like we're, we're human, right? It's happened. It's happened to us all. Um, I think this, and I think this is one of the reasons like Christians were maybe more involved in like pushback, like libertarian, a lot more Christians got a lot more libertarian um, and pushback is like, as a Christian, it is absolutely part of my daily practice to, uh, and even for a nominal Christian, at least their weekly practice to uh, look at ways in which they've acted based on like a false premise, uh, acted contrary to their own ethos, like the, this like we we're steeped as a Christian, I'm steeped in a constant cycle of apology. I'm apologizing to God and asking him to forgive me and then being forgiven like on a regular basis. Whereas I have empathy, I think from that framework more than anything of do these people have that practice in their life where they are able to be wrong and forgiven? And I think, so to me, that instinct of everyone wanting to be right is I actually think it's a great one. Um, it's a great instinct. People should hold on to that. Everyone should want to be right. But assuming you are right is a completely separate <laughs> sort of tension that can kind of misguide that. I think we all should want to get it right. Like it's important. Some I've had that people be like angry at me and be like, oh, you've got to be Mr. Knows more than everyone else. You got it, Mr. You have to, has to be right about everything. And I was like, we all have that obligation to be right. We, we that's, that's what we apologize for. We apologize when we're not right. And we have all apologized our entire lives. We've all, hopefully. But I think for a lot of people don't have that modeled around them. And I think you've seen, and I've seen, uh, you've seen in your like your community when you tried to speak about it, and I've seen it with all sorts of people, that people aren't, aren't open to that, aren't open to apologizing. And I think that's actually where, even more so than fear, I think that there's a real strange tension there um, of the burdens of perfection and not knowing how to deal with them. That's, I, yeah, <laughs> that last part is especially well said. You know, it's, uh, and I think it's funny, I think I even, it was in one of the episodes I was just listening to about the inner critic and yeah, that's this deep need, deep-seated need for belonging. And then you you talked in those episodes just about how how much we need each other as people. You know, we're we're social creatures. I don't think anybody would deny that for the most part. Um, uh, with, with as you said in that episode, some very rare exceptions. Um, mm. But I don't know that we. Yeah, I would hope that this whole episode, not this episode of the show, but like this episode of of the last few years that that would be one of the central thesis that, that that comes out of it which is yeah like could we measure just how much we actually need each other and that, <laughs> yeah 
you talk about a lot and you're saying, well, actually we are measuring that in a variety of ways. Yeah, yeah. We really need each other badly, which I think is why a lot of people were like, don't cover people's faces and don't send everyone away from each other and tell people to be afraid of other people because we need we need each other. And I think especially when we don't have each other as a collective, especially in a democratic society, we become a less democratic society because we're not around the people who constitute the 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 voting populace, you know, to uh, to to establish what it is our culture desires. In which case, this is the thing: you send people home. I'm not saying that people did lockdowns in order to create this. I don't know. Um, it certainly seemed helpful for this in that you send people home, and then you can control their entire worldview because they're not around people. Then they're only going to be people who already tend to be. If you like this, people don't always tend this way. Some people have carefully curated like friend groups who are adversarial to their thinking. But generally, especially in times of fear, if you create enough fear, you're going to go to places that are comfortable. You're going to create a desire for comfort, especially in our culture. And then you're also going to be like, be able to, you're going to be the only one really messaging them as to what people are thinking. And again, since media is dominantly sort of left bias, that means you're you're going to actually be sort of in at least media generally is, is left bias, just as like as an overall. Um, but it's also left bias in sort of like what the media that I consume. So then the messaging I'm going to be getting is going to be telling me what is real and what's going on is really going to be very not directly manipulated by other people, but just a very like you talked about a very, a very small set of people. And sometimes a set of people who tend to be as in that case, like in the, the Democrat misinformation place, then like people who are wildly misinformed themselves. You know, like there was so much talk this whole time about like, and she even says in the Amnesty article where it's like, well, no, we don't mean deliberate purveyors of misinformation. And I was like, well, wait a second. Like if a year in, people thought the risk of hospitalization was 80% or whatever, 60%, 50 or 60% instead of 0.8, then that's, there's no way that's just from people on Facebook. You know what I mean? Little like oh, misin like misinformation like gnomes running around. I was like, that's that's far too massive of an effect to, to not be systemic, right? That's a that's a that's a system wide failure in messaging. Um, so it would have to come from. I mean, that means purveyors of inf misinformation could be straight up anybody. So is there some part of this where, like, what if COVID had been that bad? Yeah, sixty percent of people were being hospitalized. Yeah, well, then I don't think we would have needed messaging about it. We mm. would have seen, we would have seen it with our eyes, and that was the thing. I don't know. I I don't personally know. I don't know anybody who saw COVID's devastation with their eyes and then responded. Like no, like straight up nobody. And we knew. I know people. Someone who died of COVID pretty early. Like it was. I think it was already in like May or June or something like that. In, in New York, and then New York got hit pretty hard in that first wave. But in terms of people, like I still have not talked to a single person who was like, I saw how bad COVID was and then responded in this particular fashion, meaning people have to do this, you have to do this, you have to do this, you have to do this. You see it on Twitter a little bit, right? With medical professionals who are like, we're swamped here. Um, but there were a lot of people who weren't swamped. I don't know, hopefully again, people remember these things. But if you remember in the first four months, like all these hospitals were turned into like COVID emergency units. And then hospitals were furloughing employees, uh, losing money at rapid rates. They weren't full of COVID patients. Within the first four months of the of the lockdown, 
It was a major issue. It was headlines all across the board of hospitals are failing and not because they're overwhelmed with COVID because there's no one in their hospitals right now. Like no one's going to get medical care because they think it's overwhelmed with COVID. And that was just such a minute, such a small, small percentage of hospitals that ever got to that point of being over, of being overwhelmed. So I was like, that, that stuff is, yeah, I, I think if it really was that bad, we would have, we would have known. And it never happened. Again, I, I don't know. I don't know a single person. Like, I don't know anybody who saw someone fall down from COVID in the street. Or again, I, I don't even know. I think I know an equal number of people who have died like post rapidly post-vaccination as I'd have, as I do, who have died from COVID. So, and no one's running away from that. You know what I mean? So yeah, I don't, I, it's a, it's a, it was a very strange time and we're still in it. I mean, there's still, that's the funny thing about an amnesty that, that, whatever the leaders of the world just met at the G20 and signed a sort of a declaration. It sounds like a statement of intent to pursue like a, 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 a G20 wide um, digital vaccine passport. So I was like, they're still doing all the things. So then those, of course, this whole idea of like amnesty, you're like amnesty for the crimes presently being committed. I don't, I just don't think that's how amnesty works. So that's the thing too, are we? And I think that's why our show exists, right? Are we still, we're trying to encourage people to do the thing that we should have been doing the whole time, which is talking to each other, you know? And you're like, if we stopped. So, but a lot of people are still back in that mode. You know what I mean? Some people are like, oh, I've moved on, the pandemic's done. But other people are still living in April, 2020. I mean, I think the people you've talked to on your thread are still living in April, 2020 in that, in that concept. You know what I mean? Being like, no, no, we don't talk. We don't talk about anything. That's not what we, what we think right now. That's scary. And then, and then for the invitation to talk being called fascism instead of the yeah embargo on talking yeah right which is really wild I mean that's the again but I'm a semantic dude so I'm always like listen I had to look I'll, I'll readily I'm going to confess this out loud I might have said this in public somewhere but I'm going to say this out loud for to be recorded forever I had to look up what fascism was I mean I, I understand it was like happening. In Italy, around the same time the Nazis were rising, I have like a general historical sense of fascism. I I know Woody Guthrie saying about it, <laughs> against it, um, but I don't. I didn't really know what it was. But all of a sudden, that term got brought up so much. And then when I looked up what it was, I was like, "What are these people talking?" Like it didn't make any sense. Like it's Mussolini described, and I got uh, banned from uh, lives on Instagram for sharing this for some reason. Um, again, which is one of the things, one of the amnesty things we can talk about in the next episode, all the things that we need to, that we would need to declare amnesty for. Um, one of them being like social media censorship of, of anything divergent from whatever message people had decided. And at this point, we already knew whatever false message, like inaccurate message people had decided was true. Um, Mussolini defined uh, fascism as corporatism, the union of corporate and state power. So essentially fascism, people call, always call it like a far right sort of manifestation. And I, I don't think that's remotely accurate. I don't actually think it has to be right or left. It just tends to be nationalistic, statist, like the state is really the dominant control. And I would suggest most people four years ago would have agreed that we are sort of a reverse we are in the constant danger of being a reverse fascist country generally, meaning that corp like we're constantly concerned that corporations essentially control our government. I oh, yeah. thought that I thought that was literally Republican, Democrat, Libertarian, Independent, Tea Party. I thought that was everyone's basic concern, which is essentially a, a reverse, I, I call it a, a reverse fascism. 
and again, suppression of the press, uh, censoring of opponents, uh, you know, uh, things like lockdowns, like total, like all that sort of stuff is all in the fascist playbook of like how the state ex like exerts. In our case, it was literally happening. Um, oh, you mean you mean the original definition was the state acting kind of like a, a, a corporation? A, yeah, essentially the state takes over corporations. So then, like, uh, they would have a yeah a ministry of energy, a ministry of agriculture, a ministry yeah. of you know what I mean. So then it's all it's all the you instead of like the internet, it would be like the United States government you know internet provider. But we have a reverse thing where basically the the corporations kind of are, but in regard, it's still a fusion. It's just like a it's like a, a Swedish fish. You know, sometimes you get the Swedish fish or those that are two colors. You know. And there's one, some that have like yellow in the back and red in the front. Some have red in the back and yellow in the front. It's though, it's like those. <laughs> Fascism is like Swedish fish. I think, yeah, we just, it's like we want to, it's hiding in plain sight. It's, we want to be more obvious about it in a way. Like, <laughs> yes, yeah. Um, no, I'd, I'd be shocked. Well, not, I'm not shocked by anything anymore, but I, I would. Yeah. be disappointed if anybody denied that that's pretty obvious it's right I, I that's I, I think that's been one of the constant things about the past two years has been difficult for me and why i'm not ready to declare a blanket amnesty without without open discussion at the very least um is so often being like wait a second just just we just all agreed about this and i know i've shared it with you this gallup poll in 2019 uh, and it's just a poll. I understand it's just polling data, but still pretty, pretty, re pretty uh, revelatory and relevant. And it was a polling data of like kind of an everybody one. Uh, and it showed the only three industries with negative trust ratings. 2019, y'all, the U.S. government, uh, like media and publicity and the pharmaceutical industry. So before 2020, we actually all were in phenomenal agreement. There was already some schism. I think political schisms were harder than they had been in a very long time, like after the election of Donald Trump, but because he was such a divisive figure, I think in many ways. Um, but we all agreed like those people aren't trustworthy. Then in 2020, all of a sudden we were like, we forgot our New Year's resolution. And we all were like, we're doing, we're going back. We're going to do the exact, we're going to go to the three people we trust the least to tell us and those are literally the three most like cited organizations for why people thought all these wacky things they're now asking for amnesty for. So that to me has been from the very early thing was the thing of like, wait, I thought we all agreed on this, you know? And I think it's what a lot of people felt. I, this is why people, this pandemic amnesty, if someone read that headline from a different, I think from many different perspectives, people could be like, oh, I know what that's going to be about. And it'd be about something completely different because we all live in such kind of different different entire worlds within a single country or even a single city or a, a single like text chain, you know? Yeah. Um, well, but yeah, I don't, I don't know when we forgot. When did we forget our comp, like somewhere, maybe in April, 2020 is a good example. March or April, 2020. How did we forget all the things that we are, we believed the same? I mean, that's, we've talked about the danger of fear and I think that's part of it, but it's like that there's some inflection point, some separation point there where, and again, I think sticking people in their homes, this is part of what created it and making them afraid. So then we weren't, we didn't constantly remind each other that we're in this together. I think that's the thing about talking about an amnesty is good. Hey, we're all in this together. Let's figure out where we all messed up. 
None of us did it perfectly. None of us. I didn't. I did it as rigorously as possible, but I'm not perfect. You know, I'm sure there's things I need to, there has to be something that I need to apologize for because I'm apologizing to God every day. So I'm well aware how imperfect I am <laughs> making no claims to, to perfection, except as a pursuit of my entire existence. Um, and that hopefully maybe, maybe it's a good way to end this episode and in, in something on the, along these lines. Um, and it's also a good place to start. Yeah, the, another good resource is the Edelman Trust Barometer. It's mm. a PR firm that for years, many years, I don't know how long, maybe even a decade or so, every year they they release something. And I don't think, gosh, I've looked at it in a little while, but it'd be interesting. That that might be even a little more reliable. It, you know, it's, it's mm -hmm. essentially a, a poll, but I think yeah. seem to have a pretty rigorous um, methodology. But I think it reveals pretty similar things about the lack of trust. You know, so I, that is something to deeply contemplate. Um, and I, I, I assume it's attached to fear. And part of the reason too, we, so many areas of the world beyond the US uh, are turning towards authoritarian regimes that yeah, this paradox where when we're afraid, we, we sort of want the person who just has the sort of uh, loudest and most concrete way of speaking about something. And I think, we almost care more about the energy of, of certainty and control than we do about the energy of, of whatever the hell their policies are. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, although, which is weird too, because in some ways I was like, Oh, that would have should, should have made Donald Trump like the perfect president because there is somebody who states things phenomenally confidently blowhard. I mean, I would say to absolutely to a fault. So in some ways, it, he should have been perfect. Although it's funny, he's a little free associative. And I think which freaked people out when he was like, oh, it could be this, could be that, could be this, could be that. He's like, well, what if we try this? What if we try? Remember that one? He had one press conference where he's like, you know, or, you know, if there's some way to like kill viruses with bleach or light or whatever. Um, and people are like, what? Are we supposed to drink it? Like, I don't know what, listen, he didn't say for anyone to drink bleach, by the way, but that's how people took it. Um, but it was like that. I remember when he started doing that, I was like, oh, yeah, people aren't going to love that. But generally, he should have been. I mean, he was like the best kind of he was like a Teddy Roosevelt kind of leader in a way. He was like, here's we're going to do this and I'm going to be the best. I mean, he, he literally I think he straight up thinks he's the best of everything. So <laughs> that should have been. I mean, that, that was pretty he's pretty good at confident uh, declarations. Which, in, some ways, in some ways, it was good. We didn't. I mean, because in some ways, I think you recognize and like an overabundance of confidence. Although the weird thing was, I think just people pre-hated him. So they were just like, they, again, I think this is why Saint, there were St. Fauci candles and he was like a Time Magazine man of the year. Brad Pitt played him on SNL. Is people just like looked across the podium. You know what I mean? They were like, who else is standing nearby? They're like, that guy, that guy's, he's right. He's our, he's eventually, he's our daddy. He's our patriarch. He's going to save us. <laughs> That's why I, I always like to play Toad in Mario Kart. Yeah. At the end of a race. You know, I always used to say she, but I really don't know what Toad's identity is. What, so. what a Toad I'm, is. I'm going to go with they. Yeah. We'll just say, I'm the best. Yes. I'm the best. He's so little. He's little. You'd never assume it. And I, by the way, I wore my Back to the Future time code t-shirt today. Love it. So that we can all just go back to the future. Yeah, that's what we're that's what we're trying to do here. That's what we're trying to do here. Yeah, not right now. Skip ahead. So I, I, um, in the spirit of this episode, I, I would like to ask for amnesty. 
because uh, when we were in college, we we all went out uh, for Mexican food one time. Yeah. And, and the bill came up short because I actually didn't have enough money with me. Oh, yeah. And, you know, a lot of times it's like somebody puts in a little extra or somebody or whatever it just kind of works out. Like I was, yeah. the, I was, no, I wasn't the lemonade guy. I was the opposite of the lemonade guy in that. <laughs> and it was like, we were all, you know, college students, yeah, various degrees of affluence, but, you know, we had some money. But, yeah. And people were being like really careful in that moment to calculate the bill. Yeah. I just, it was so chicken shit. I remember sitting there and just being like, and it was kind of a prolonged conversation. Yeah. It was like, no, really, somebody didn't put in enough money here. Like, and everybody was like, yeah. I found this. And I'm like, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> Which I feel like is is some, you know, so hopefully maybe, maybe in some way illustrative of, of what's happening here and, and maybe um I'm joking that I'm asking for amnesty. I would like to apologize to you, Brennan, for oh thank you. And I didn't and I didn't I didn't even know I had experienced any harm, but I received your apology and I forgive you. And I think we can heal from that. And the next time we go out to eat, I think it's gonna be a palpable, it'll be a palpable energetic difference because of this discourse. And this is how healing begins. I think that's our episode, man. I think we, we gotta talk more about this. I have so many more notes. Oh my goodness gracious. But this is a good launch. And I love you, Andy, and I appreciate you apologizing for um whatever burrito uh whatever burrito you bought probably enchiladas i mean let's be honest oh yeah let's be honest it was covered in cheese uh i love you i gotta go i love you too and thanks for your time and energy today as always and my love to you and your family thank you love to you and yours love you buddy <laughs>